0: Alright, so it's really good to see everybody. Happy New Year to you all. Uh, it is such a pleasure and a joy to be back together and getting back into studying God's Word with you guys. And we teach expositionally here. We teach expositionally, which means we go verse by verse through the Scriptures. And what we've been doing for about the last three years in this class is teaching through the life of Christ <coughs> by a harmony of the Gospels. Now, what did we mean when we say the Gospels? Who remembers what the four Gospels are? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and and John. And so to get the... The story of the life of Christ, his earthly ministry, we would read from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we would also read the first two chapters of the book of Acts, and that would give us the, the earthly ministry of Jesus when he became man and walked among us and shared with us uh, his way, truth, and life. And so we've been studying for the last, I, it's probably been a, at least two years or so now, we've, uh, better. we've been studying the life of Christ through a harmony of the Gospels, and we've kind of come to a place now where we're doing a lot of um, studies in the book of Luke. And today we're going to do a lesson that is very familiar probably to most of us here. We're going to do the story of the Good Samaritan or the parable of the Good Samaritan. And since since that story is very familiar to most of us, we're going to read the text and we're going to talk about the purpose behind the story, why Jesus used the parable and what lessons we can learn through it more than we do just focusing on the story itself so let's open with a word of prayer if you want to turn your bibles to luke chapter 10 we're going to be in verses 25 through 37 day luke 10 verses 25 through 37 most gracious heavenly father we thank you for the privilege and the joy of being able to come and study your word uh, your truth and to uh, grow in our knowledge of who you are through that word We do recognize that each and every one of us here, we all certainly have our struggles that we're dealing with in our lives right now, whether it be health or finances or uh, just uh, uh, our emotional state or or whatever it be, Lord. We all uh, live in a world that has fallen, and we struggle with our own fallenness, and we need you to, to work in our lives. So be with those of us who are struggling and help us to see through uh the darkness to your marvelous light. Help us to focus on you as our God and Savior, our King, uh, and be with us now in this time of study. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So really quickly one of the one of the main focuses that Jesus has been teaching is uh through the gospels is talking about his kingdom, right? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven uh, they all mean the same thing. What, what do we mean when we say the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom? We've learned that, and that's something very important. I want each and every one of us to always remember. What is the kingdom of God? What does that word mean? What he rules over. What he rules, right? Lord, remember our definition of the kingdom? What did we say the kingdom? The king's domain is what he rules over. And what does God rule he over? Everything, right? All of creation, mm-hmm. and not only that, but after Jesus died, he was buried, and three days later, he rose again. Yeah. Where did he go uh, after he uh, rose again? He ascended into heaven.
1: Didn't
0: he? Right. What is your, what is your apostles creed? There, he ascended into heaven, it and ascended he
2: ascended into heaven, then he rose again, and ascended
0: into heaven. He ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, right? So He is ruling and reigning right now from Heaven and one of our problems is is in our fallen state, it's hard for us to see Him ruling. Like we see a fallen world around us, we see broken people, we look in the mirror and see broken people, we look in our families and see broken people, we look out in the streets around us and see broken people and it really doesn't sometimes appear that God is ruling and reigning but remember when did Jesus accomplish what he came to do? Yes. When did he do that? On the
3: cross. When he rose. What? Oh, when during the Roman when said
0: occupation. It is during the Roman occupation. But at what point did he accomplish? When he said it is finished, what was he doing? Hanging on the cross. He was dying. All right? And so at the very lowest point, he was actually conquering. Like in the worst of states, he was actually ruling and reigning, and to his disciples, it sure didn't look like that, did it? No, it looked like well, he was dying.
2: Well, everybody,
0: right? And so it looked like
2: he was defeated.
0: Yeah, he, he does, and but he accomplished what he came to do, which is to seek and to save that which is the lost, to shed his blood, to die on the cross, to pay for our sins, so that we could know him and live with him forever. And so we need to remember that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's always here. Even when we can't see it with our our physical eyes, we have to believe in faith that he's there. So let's, let's look at this passage together, and then we'll get in and break it down. It says in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, A lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him, and they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him, he bandaged up his wounds, Pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to the inn and took care of him. On the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And the lawyer said, The one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. So now what we want to do is we want to go back and talk about the story and what we can take from it, what we can learn from it. Why did Jesus tell the story? What were the circumstances before him telling the story? And we'll get into that. Yes, Lord. Where are we at?
2: We're
0: in at Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. Okay. Luke 10, verse 25. So... Je- now remember, the last time we were together, and I know it's been almost—it's been over a month ago since we were together last. But the last time we were together, Jesus's disciples had come back, and they were all pumped up because Jesus had sent them out two by two to go in to share the gospel in the world. And what what did they happen when they did that? People became believers. They were casting out demons. They were healing people. They came back to Jesus, and they were all excited. They said, uh, even the demons. Uh, 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 Bow and submission, and what did Jesus say? Don't be, don't marvel at these things. Marvel at the fact that your name is written in the book of life. Like the important thing is, is that you have the promise of eternity, and you have that promise of eternity to share with other people, and that promise is going to be fulfilled through you going out and sharing it with other people. And so they had just come back from doing this, and that's where this story takes place. So Jesus had been about the task of presenting faithfulness to God as hearing and doing God's word so faithfulness is an act faith is something that is a gift that we are given from God to believe in but faithfulness is that faith taking legs and walking and so there's always this tension it seems in our minds and and as we read the scripture between faith and works We know that salvation is by faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so the practice of God's Word is a central issue in the narrative that we just read. We can all walk the walk. We can all talk the talk if that faith is inside of us. And if that faith is really inside of us, then we will walk the walk and talk the talk.
2: And so our works can be considered fruit...
0: Our works are fruits of the faith that is within us. That's exactly right. And so one of the first things I want us to remember is this. And we're going to look at a couple of passages of Scripture. Because this lawyer comes to Jesus, and this lawyer asked Jesus a question. What did he ask you? What was the question that he asked Jesus?
3: What do I have to do?
0: What must I do to inherit eternal life? And we've talked about this in the past in another class. But the reality is it's almost a trick question, isn't it? Because what do you Did do to? Did
2: Nicodemus him? ask the same question?
0: Not Nicodemus. Nicodemus, Nicodemus said. Kind of. Yeah, in in a sense. Okay. But he had another man come up to him asking the same question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And there's a problem with that question. What do you do to inherit something? Nothing you can do. Nothing. You just receive it. Someone dies, and you receive the gift that they leave for you. I Y'all saw me pull up today in the car. I've been driving now for about 12 years. My granddad left that to me as an inheritance. Right? And it's a it's a Mercury Grand Marquis. It's the last car in the world that I would ever went and picked out on a parking lot for myself. I always was in debt to car notes because I always went and bought fancy sports car or a nice big trucks and I was always in debt trying to pay off uh, car notes and when my granddad died he left the keys in the title of that car to my dad and my uncle said give that to Ronnie and tell him, and tell him I love him and that uh, he that rascal would probably never own his own car if somebody didn't give him one so he left me that car oh, and I you know what he did not give me that car because I was a good grandson I was actually a, a pretty bad grandson I used him, and he he gave me money and bailed me out of stuff in my life that I had no business being bailed out of. He did that because he loved me. But so he gave me that inheritance not because I was a good grandson. He gave it to me because he was a good grandfather. He loved me, and every time that, almost every time that I get in that car and crank it up, I think of my grandfather, and I also think of the fact that I did nothing to earn that car. And I also remember the fact that I don't have a payment. I don't owe anything on that car. I do have to pay for some insurance. But it's so nice to not have a car note coming in every month. And so when we talk about inheritances, inheritance is a gift. And so why am I bringing this point up? Because salvation and eternal life is a gift. And it's not something you do to get it there's nothing that you do to get internal, eternal life
3: that's hard to comprehend
0: it's hard for us because we are do oriented like tell me what to do right but anytime you think about this gift of eternal life I want you to think about Jesus' last words on the cross what was the last thing he said on the cross It is finished. It is finished. finished. He purchased our salvation on that cross. He didn't say, it's up to you now.
2: Right. (laughs) Right.
0: He said, it's finished. He paid for all of our sins. He paid for all of our bad choices. He paid so that we no longer owe. And now that gift is offered to who? All. And to all who will receive it, to all of those who now, believe on him. When
3: you say it's offered to all, that means there's not the elect,
0: doesn't it? No. The elect receive. It's offered to everyone. As a pastor, I stand up in a pulpit and preach who am I preaching to? Everyone. Everyone. And am I supposed to look out in that crowd and say, oh, well, I can tell oh, John's elect and he's not? No, because it's not my job it's not, to elect. It's your choice. It's right. not my job to elect. It is my job to do the same thing that these disciples did, which is to go out and share the promise with everyone.
2: All right, and some of the elect hadn't heard about exactly right. Jesus yet. Right. And they need to, and that's what you're providing. So,
0: the reality is, is that the promise, the inheritance, the promise of the inheritance goes to all, but it's only his children that receive it. And it's not up to me and you to determine who they are. That's the work of God. So you remember on Judgment Day how the Bible tells us that the angels are going to go and separate the sheep from the goat. Well, the gospel is actually doing that in a sense now, isn't it? The gospel, the angels, the messengers, that's what uh, the word angel means, the messenger are going out and sharing the truth, the promise of God, and all of those who receive Him, to all of those who believe Him, He gives them the right to become children of God. And so we, But we need to understand this. Jesus said it is finished, not it is up to you. But, once we receive that gift, once we receive that inheritance, then we have the passion, the desire, and the will to go out and share that gift with others. And if we don't, if we don't have that heart to go into to be compassionate and merciful to others and offer them the same thing that was offered to you, then we need to question our salvation. If you have truly received the gift of eternal life, then the main drive in your heart and in your life should be to allow others to know that same gift. And how do we do that? by sharing his word with others by being faithful by walking the walk and talking the talk and that's one of the kind of things that we're going to see in this passage so again we're saved by faith and we need to remember that we are saved by faith but saving faith works so we're saved by faith not by our works but saving faith works now tell me what I mean by that. We are saved by faith, not by works. What does that mean? We've already we'll just explained that. What does that mean? We're saved by faith, not by works. It's not by our doing. Okay, not by our doing, not by anything we've done.
2: Not by what we believe.
0: By what we believe. And what do we believe? We believe Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. Three days later, He rose again. He ascended to heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father. We believe in the gospel. So, if I stand before Jesus one day and he says, why do I let you into heaven? If, it's, if I say it's because I believe, then I have now turned faith into a work.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Does that make sense to everybody? You see what I'm saying? If I stand before my maker one day on the judgment throne and say I am saved because I believed, then I have now turned faith into a work. Something that I have done. But if I stand before, if I kneel before my Savior and say it's because of what you did for me on that cross, then it's faith. And it's faith in something that truly saves, which is the work of Jesus Christ. So, we are saved by faith. That makes sense to everybody? But saving faith works. So Jesus doesn't just save me so that I can just have fire insurance and not go to hell. (laughs) He saved me to go out and to share that promise. Your heart
2: changes. I mean, some folks, you know, they'll claim the gospel, they'll claim being a Christian, and then life really isn't changing. There's not a lot of fruits coming. You're not Your heart changes and wants to
3: do
0: more. And that
2: is also a good. gift. All right. It's all a
0: gift. Okay, so I want to look at a couple of passages really quickly to to emphasize what we just talked about. So turn with me to Romans chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to let Dave and, and Matt do the readings for us today because they they both got good strong voices. <clears throat> so Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Dave, you
3: want to read that one for us? Okay. Uh, what then should we say? We gained by Abraham our forefathers according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it is counted to him as righteousness now to the one who works his wages are not counted uh, as a gift but as as his due and to, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who's justified the ungodly his faith is counted as righteousness
0: okay so paul shows us what true saving faith looks like and he uses abraham who was the father <laughs> of the jews now remember, this lawyer that we're going to meet in our story today is Jewish, and he would definitely tell you that he is a son of Abraham, right? And but the reality is this: he says that Abra- if Abraham was justified by works, he's got something to boast about before God. What does that mean to boast? Right.
2: Right. right. So can take credit for me. Yeah.
0: So if Abraham was justified by something he did, then he gets to brag when he gets to heaven. And it says that the, the Scripture said Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Well, what did he believe about God? God had just told him that through his seed, all the nations would be blessed. He told him that one day he was going to have a child that was going to save the world, basically. And what did Abraham do when he told him that? Now, how old was Abraham when he got this promise? Like in the 80s, right? Close to ninety, yeah. right? And, and God said, "You're going to have a kid." Now, what's the problem? that He can't have a kid. But what did he do? Despite all of his physical frailty, despite all of the impossibilities from an earthly standpoint, he
2: also lived a very long time, didn't he?
0: Yeah, but he believed God. And so, what did God? What, what did God do? God credited him with righteous. Well, what did he believe? He believed the promises of God. He didn't believe in himself. He believed in God. And because of that, he was saved. And so Paul's making sure that we understand that our salvation is a gift and that that gift is given to us and that by faith, by believing in that gift, by believing in the promise, believing in Jesus, we're saved. It's through faith. But now I want us to just turn over to the book of James. We're going to look at James chapter 2. And we want to see because it almost, what we're going to read here in just a second, almost sounds like a contradiction. All right, so let's look at James chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Wait one second. Let everybody find it. Hebrews and James, right? right. Hebrews, and then we go to James chapter 2, verses 14
1: through 18. All right? Got it? Yeah. All right, go ahead, Matt. <clears throat> what does it profit, my brethren, if somebody says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also by faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, "You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works." Okay. So James
0: says that faith without works is dead. And if you, a lot of people will use this to say, "See, you got to work." Yeah. Even so, if it has, if faith has no works, it is dead. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works? What? Well, all right. So, is James and Paul contradicting one another here? Is there a contradiction there? Because James says you got to have works. Remember,
2: your heart wants to do works because of your gift of
1: faith. The works are the fruit of the faith. Good. All right. The works are the fruit of the faith. So, feel
2: like we have to, all right, do, so we want to do it. All right. So watch.
0: What we can always do to remember this, to to, to see the, see the see through this contradiction, is to remember that we are justified by faith. What does that mean? Justified It's justified, never done anything wrong. We're declared righteous before God by believing in Jesus. Okay? Now, that faith is not a work. It's a gift. Who gave you the gift? God. Did he give you the gift of salvation because you believed? Or did you believe because he gave you the gift? See? All right, good. So, we are justified by faith. The thief on the cross, did he have any works to brag about when he got to heaven? No, not one. But did he go to heaven? He
2: did.
0: Yes. Alright. So, do our works get us to heaven? No. So, we are justified by faith alone. But what James is saying here is this. Your faith is justified by your work. So remember what Lori said a few minutes ago? There's a lot of people going around acting like they're Christian and they don't do anything.
2: Mm-hmm. And they don't want to bother.
0: Right. So is there a reason to question somebody's believing if there's no works involved? Is there a reason to question that?
3: Yeah. Well, it's not our place to question it. But yeah. Not to judge them. Yeah. Not to judge
1: them. Yeah. But... But that's how we know. But that's how you know.
2: You have to be able to question because you have to be careful about following in the wrong footsteps. or, or there's so much bad out there. I mean, even if they're claiming that they're Christian, you have to be careful. And you do. I think you do have to question because you don't want to follow in the wrong footsteps. You don't want to tie into the. Uh, their belief that they ain't got to do nothing or be concerned with nobody. You don't want that to wear off on
1: you. We can't see men's hearts. No. We don't know whether they are or not. How we see is because we're visual creatures. We can only see if they're living out what they say they believe. Yes. And if they're not living it out, then we can make an educated judgment.
2: An right. educated guess. So. Right.
1: So it's better for me to stay clear at this one. Okay, so to to finish off the the topic. That may
3: not be
0: a bad suggestion. But to finish off the topic, let's think about this. What did Paul say it takes to go to heaven?
2: Faith.
0: Faith. Believing. All right? So is is there any work that you can do to get to heaven? No. No. But what does James say about our faith? It should produce good works. It will produce works. Right. If it's true faith, it will produce because work.
2: Because the gift of faith brings other gifts with it, a change of your heart. And the change of your heart is written in the Bible. Your heart turns from
1: always, always stone like to this.
2: Flesh.
1: I always say, I'm not a botanist, right? I don't know what an apple tree looks like. In the springtime, I have no idea. It looks like every other tree in the forest. But when harvest time comes and I see apples popping off of it, I know it's an apple tree. And I can see that it's an attitude.
0: And that's what James is trying to say here. He's saying, you say you believe, well, show me you believe. And so, we're justified by faith, but our faith is justified by our works. You see what it means? We are proved to be real Christians when we act like real Christians. And that's the heart of what's going to happen in this story right here. Look at verse 25. Let's go back to Luke 10, verse 25. So, the lawyer stood up to test Jesus and said, what shall I do in inherit in eternal life? So who is he testing? He's testing the author of life. He's testing the one that gave Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. He's putting him to the test. Do we test the law? No. Do we, do we, Do any of us test the law?
2: Where are we at now? Luke 10, verse
0: 25. And who's testing who? The lawyer stood up to test Christ, to test Jesus. He's a lawyer, right? He said, the lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit? So he's going to test the law. Because Jesus is the law. Jesus is the law in the gospel. The law giver. He's the law giver. He's the one that gave Moses the law. Now, do we as humans, following humans, do we ever test the law?
2: Yeah.
0: Yes. That's oh, why you yeah. take your yeah. foot off the gas when you pass a policeman on the side of the road. Because yeah. you've been testing the law. <laughs> Seeing if you can exactly. get away with it. Right? Yep. Seeing if you can get away with it. I'm
1: keeping foot on the gas. All right?
3: right?
0: So, what? the test is a trick question. What must I do? Okay. You can't. So Jesus is basically going to say, okay, you want to do something? Well, here's what you do. So, now first of all, let's remember this. Lawyers in the Bible are not Ken Nugent, right? One call, that's all. Uh, lawyers are not, uh, you know, the local Morgan. guy that you call when somebody rear ends you. It, 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 Morgan, and Morgan. Morgan and Morgan. or and Morgan, or uh, one of these ambulance chasers. That's not the kind of lawyer he's talking about. That whole judicial system really hadn't been set up. At this point, but a lawyer in the Bible is someone who is a teacher of a the Pharisee? law, a teacher of the law.
2: is he a Pharisee yeah. of the lawyer? Mm-hmm.
0: So it's referring to the religious leaders who were experts in the Mosaic law. Does that make sense? Yeah. So this guy who was asking Jesus this question could probably have quoted Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy to you by heart.
2: Like he what knew. What have they been doing up until this point? They've been sacrificing to make themselves clean again. And they've been, they've been doing and doing, trying to fulfill the law, and then doing because they can't fulfill the law. So that's how they've been doing for centuries.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. So we need to remember that when it says lawyer. So now, now remember, he is testing Jesus. But what does the law do to each and every one of our hearts?
3: It tells us. It tests yeah. us.
0: <clears throat> this man is trying to test Jesus, mm-hmm. and Jesus is turning around and using it as a test on him. And that's what the law does to us. The, the, the law never pats you on the head and says, good boy. The law always says you can do more.
1: You can do better.
0: You can do better. That's exactly right. And why would that ever get frustrating? It is hard. Better. Because you're always doing 35 and a 25. Yeah. It's always impossible. So the law tests us. And so we need to understand what's going on here. So what does Jesus do? Look what he says. It says, well, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? So this is a lawyer. And Jesus is going to say, hey, Mr. Lawyer, what does the law say and what does that mean to you? You see how that works? Now look how Jesus replies, or look how the lawyer replies. He answered and says, "You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself." Mm-hmm. Now, is that a good law? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what was Jesus doing? He was summing up the whole of the Ten Commandments, right? The first four commandments have to do with us loving who? God. 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 And the second six have to do with loving who? Our neighbor. Alright. So Jesus is going to point this lawyer to the book of Deuteronomy, and he's going to, the lawyer is going to do what every good Jew would do, and he's going to quote the Shema at him. Alright?
3: Jesus points to the
0: lawyer to, to, to the law and God's, which is God's will and command. The law. Let me say that again. I want to make sure all of us hear this. The law is God's will and God's command. God commands you not to steal. He commands you. And it's his will. His will is for you not to murder. His will is for you not to lie. His will is for you to love your mother and father, honor your mother and father all so people that,
1: that kill other people, and they can't, like, get their sin forgiven, right? Yes. And they can still go to heaven? Yes. Even though
0: he killed somebody? Yes. Wow. <laughs> if they believe on Jesus Christ. Because he died on the cross to pay for that sin. If they believe on him. Alright, so he, he he points the lawyer to the law. Now this is a place where the lawyer would have been very comfortable, right? What this verse is how you uh, verse twenty seven. Okay. This is this is the lawyer's wheelhouse right here, the law. He said, Well, Mr. Lawyer, what does the law say? And as a good Jew, the, the lawyer quotes the Shema. The Shema, the word Shema in Hebrew means here. Here. Alright. And the Shema is a prayer that every Jew says, every Orthodox Jew says every day. Every day when they get up, they say this prayer. And if you want to hear the prayer, let's turn now to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Go back in the Old Testament to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy.
3: Mm -hmm. Um, Verse 4. We're going to read verses um, 4 through 9.
2: Deuteronomy
0: chapter 6. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Numbers. Deuteronomy. Mm -hmm. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 4 through
3: 9.
1: All right. Everybody there? All right, go ahead and read that, Matt. Okay. <clears throat> Hear, of Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay, so what is the first word of that verse? Here. 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 That's the word Shema Uh
0: in Hebrew. And so... Every good Jew prays that prayer every morning. So Jesus asked the lawyer, he says, Well, what do you think you do to inherit eternal life? And what does the Jew do? He goes straight to the laws. Because the law is what we do. Actually, we don't. But it's what we're supposed to do. You see? And so this Jew, immediately, this lawyer jumps straight to the law and he says... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. <coughs> so he goes straight to the law. And look what it says. Let's go back to Luke now and see how he replies. He said to him, You have answered correctly. All right. So what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what does Jesus say? Was it Luke 10. Yeah, Luke 10, verse 27. uh, The lawyer says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Right? Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. So what Jesus just said to that lawyer is, is that if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, you will go to heaven. Well, what's the problem with that?
3: That's hard to do. Nobody does it. Nobody does it. There's (laughs) That's hard. There's <laughs> only
0: one man that ever lived that did it. It's impossible to do it. was that? Jesus. You think it's,
3: it's impossible? impossible? That's it. For, He's for
0: the only one that ever did that. And by dying on the cross, not only was he worthy for heaven, but he took upon himself all of the times that we aren't right. and paid for them. So not only did he die and to pay the pardon so that we could not be considered sinners in God's eyes. Right? We're covered in the blood of Christ, so God the judge no longer sees our sin. But not only did he do that, but he lived the life that we couldn't so that we could have the gift. He earned it for us. He was the perfect. Alright? So for this lawyer, for us as human beings, the moment that we start saying something we do gets us to heaven What are we saying about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross? It was worthless. It It wasn't enough. That's exactly right. The moment we begin to depend upon ourselves is the moment we fall. So let's put let's put that in some shoe leather here. Why do we struggle with addiction? Because we want to. Because we want to. Because we're dependent on who? Ourselves if God truly changes my heart, then I'm going to walk away from those things. Now, is it going to be a struggle? At times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it certainly will. When does it become a struggle? The moment that I begin depending on me instead of him. Mm -hmm. You see how that works? And so this lawyer says, do it. And what did Jesus say? You have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But here we go, look at verse 29. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? Wishing to justify himself. What does that mean, to justify himself? You can't do that. What does it mean to justify yourself? Clear yourself. To clear yourself of any wrongdoing, right? Okay? Remember, this guy is the religious the religiosity of the day. Like, he's the guy at your church that everybody would point their finger at and say, that's the most religious guy in this church. I want to tell a story about some of my grace church families, because I, I, I love this story, and I won't mention whose name it was, but just to save face, but we, I was teaching the youth one day, and we were talking about this very passage about how a lot of times, religion can be external and not internal. And I asked all of the, I asked all of the kids in the in the youth group. I said, "Who do you think the most religious, the most righteous, per, holiest person in this church is?" And without a doubt, every one of them named the same person.
3: Me, me, me.
0: One day, no, <laughs> it wasn't me. <day. laughs> no. no, he, he didn't name that day. Now, when I asked that question, what was I asking them? Who do you see here every week? Who sings in the choir? Who's always helping in the background? Who's always wiping something down or helping somebody? Who is who is the most like righteous person you know in this church? And almost, without a doubt, every child in that youth group said the same person. And you know what? I would have thought the same thing. But... One of that same person's grandkids stood up and said, "Yeah, but you should have heard when she got hit in the rear end by a car when we were in the school." <laughs> <laughs> you see? You see what? And and it's true. God's not judging us based on the outward; He's yeah. judging us based on what's going on in the heart. Now, this person. I truly believe that she is one a, a dear saint. Like, there's no doubt about that. But even a saint, when they get rear-ended in a school, uh, you well, know. utter something. Yeah, yeah. We, we all have faults. We all fall short. And we do need to remember that. Now, the one who is living short will always remind you that you fall short.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Because what will they tell you when you bring up They're their trying
2: faults? to get the focus off of them and on something else. Good. Else.
0: Watch They're trying to justify themselves. And how do we justify ourselves? By pointing out the shortcomings in other people. Well, they're doing it. Yep. It's like a kid. How do we do that? How do we justify ourselves? They're way worse than I am. Yeah, well, at least I'm not that bad. Right. Yeah. But remember, God is looking at our hearts. And when He's looking at your heart, He's not looking at the Lord's heart. heart. He's looking at your heart. He's looking at my heart. When he's looking at my heart, he's not judging you, he's judging me. And what is the method that God uses to judge us? What, In the end, what are we going to be judged by? His command, his will. The law. And if it were not for Jesus Christ, every one of us would be found guilty and sent to hell. But this lawyer is trying to justify himself. You see what he's doing? He's going to say, he says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Where does the problem fall in the doing doing. this? Now remember, this lawyer, to the eyes of those in that crowd, is doing it. You see? This guy's wearing the robe. He's got the, the clerk, the clerical um, you know, collar. He's got the bells and the whistles. He knows what to say and when to say it, and how to say it. Right? He looks like the one on he his way to heaven. To but how do we know that his heart is not in the right place?
1: He's asking who his neighbor is
0: because he's a lawyer. Good, good, good. All right, Matthew, Matthew nailed it. How do we know that this guy's heart is not in the right place? He's asking who his neighbor is, but go back, step one step backwards. Why is he doing that? What What did the verse say he was doing?
1: What does it take to? It's but wishing to justify, justify himself, he knows he's wrong about it, and right. he's trying to push it off. Right. How
0: do we know his heart's not in the right place? Because when our heart is in the right place, we don't justify self. We justify God. We don't look to ourselves, we look to him.
1: Well, is it because he thinks they were taught they're only they're only supposed to love other Jews? G- good, and
0: that's a, that's a point we're going to get to here in just a minute. So, the Jews, and, and this guy's mindset, he's a son of Abraham, and the Gentiles are not a part of that. We are the covenant people of God, and they are the lost. And that is definitely a part of the attitude that he's going to have. And I think that's one of the reasons why Jesus is going to use the Samaritan as the the example in our story. So let's look at the rest of the... So now what's Jesus going to do? Jesus is going to do the same thing that he does often. He's going to use parabolic teaching to help us to understand something. What do I mean when I say parabolic teaching? What is a parable? What's the Sunday school answer?
3: Parallel in in a fashion.
0: What's What's the Sunday school answer for what is a parable? It's an earthly story with a, a heavenly meaning. meaning, okay? It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He's going, to use a, he's going to use something that we are all familiar with to help us to grasp a reality that we're not so familiar with. To draw a similarity. Right. Or something like that. Now, remember, you think, a lot of times we think this. We think that parables are little stories that Jesus uses to help little minds to understand big things.
2: You said that sir. What you said
0: the parable? Parable. Remember the parable of the good shepherd or the parable of the lost sheep? Remember the little, she, the she guy wants that was What's
2: the definition of what a parable? A parable
0: is, a is it's a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's using it's using simple concepts to help explain something of a deeper meaning. All right? So, the story of the three little pigs is a parabolic teaching. It teaches us to build our house on things that last and then when the storms of life come, our, our, our structure will hold up. And it teaches us to depend on family, right? Like, it teaches us... So, nursery rhymes are parabolic teachings. They, they're they simple little stories about geese and sheep and mice, and That it, but it teaches us about human nature. It teaches us about things. So And you would think that Jesus is using this as a way to make things easy to understand. You would think a parable as a way to make things easy to understand. But what Jesus teaches us in one of his first parables, the parable of the seed and the sower is, is that parables are a way to separate the sheep from the goats. Right, what because what he'll do is he'll teach this parable, and to those who are being drawn into the kingdom, they'll put their ears up and try to figure it out. What? What does that mean? If God is at work in their heart, they're going to want to know more. To the people on the outside, when he tells them the parable, they go, this guy's a wackadoo, and they walk off. They don't think about it anymore. So the parable is a kind of a way to stir the hearts of those who are being drawn. And that's what he's doing here. So he's going to tell the story. Now remember, in this story, he's telling a story, and he's telling this to a group of people around him who are struggling, and he's also telling it to a lawyer who is seeking to justify himself. So he's trying to teach both crowds at the same time, right? Well, let's look at the story. He says, Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem. All right? Now remember, Jerusalem is up on a hill. It's up on a high mountain.
2: Where exactly are we?
0: Luke 10, verse 30. 30 okay. Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers. And they stripped him and they beat him and went away leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him, and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to the end and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Alright, so there's the story. Now, at the beginning of the story, what it says is, the Samaritan, uh, that a man was going down uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho. Alright, to say he was going down, remember, all of the children of God, all of the Israelites would go up to the temple to worship. It was built up on a hill. So we do know that the priest and the Levite, who are both temple workers, a priest and a Levite both work in the temple. And it says they're both going down. So what does it mean? It means they finished their service or their obligation in the temple and now they're going home. So they're
3: still in Jerusalem? Or? Yes.
0: Okay. Yeah. And so they're going down. Um, so the comparison for me and you... They just uh, left church. Lori and Matt just walked out of the church and walk behind the church into the alley and there all the guys. right and they you know in other words they had just come from performing their religious duties no, now they're going down and and what do they find they find a man stripped what does it mean to be stripped go and uh, take his clothes all right he was naked were very so valuable. would the priest or the Levite have been able to identify him as a Samaritan
3: no. Uh, no. What he been not Is that a question? Well, I don't
0: know. I I, <laughs> I, I, everybody's looking that close. Yeah, I, yeah, they both passed by on the other side of the road, so <laughs> I don't think they were looking yeah, that exactly, yeah. close. You're exactly right. But think about it. So there's no way of knowing what kind of person this is. Just at a glance, no. He's just a person, but he's a person in need. But
2: those there? two, uh, the priest and the Levite, and the Levite who they considered their neighbors to be, because that's why he asked the question, Who is my neighbor? Yeah, what they considered we're their gonna, neighbors to be, only the righteous. We're going to
0: get that to that in just oh. a second. All
2: right. Jumping ahead uh, again. It, yeah,
0: that's all right. So I want you to notice something really quickly. In verse uh, 31, a priest was going down the road. He saw, he passed by. A Levite came to a place, he saw, and he passed by. All right. So both of them were walking down the road. They both saw someone in need, and they passed by. Why did they pass by?
3: They didn't want to get involved. Yeah. They knew it was going to take something, whether it was just their time or money or something.
2: You know. Yeah. absolutely. then they're not real church people then.
3: Mm-hmm. Well no no, no no they no no no
0: no. They are very much church people with none their none clothes. People they're wearing three piece suits. Like they they're say. if I were to look at these people I'd say, Oh, those are church people. But they haven't had a
1: heart change by God. So why did they pass by? Because he was
2: stripped. <laughs> he was selfish. Yeah, but he was, was also opinion, you could tell he was hurt.
0: Selfish is very close to the answer I'm looking for, and I think that's right, but I think it just boils down to the simple fact they don't care.
1: They simply do not care. Well, selfishness makes you not care about other people. Yep. What'd you say? Selfishness oh, it makes yeah. you not care about other people. That's easy to slip into, too. And it says that, but a
0: Samaritan.
3: Feeling like compassion, didn't
0: it? Who is a. Not a member of the covenant, unclean. like he an Gentile. unclean Gentile. This is not a Jew. This is not a member of our family. He's not from us. He don't act like us. He don't believe what we believe. No. He no. Don't the Americans
3: like were at one time Jews. They separated, right? They were half breeds. They okay. were half. They're half breeds, yeah. but they were originally part of it when they when it when when, they when the
0: when Assyria came down and uh and sacked. Uh, Israel, they drug them off into captivity as slaves mm-hmm. and they moved off up into Assyrian places like that. And actually, some, the Assyrian soldiers came down and lived among them. And so some of their women and their, they started interbreeding with the Assyrians. And so you got half-breeds. Yeah, but you and so the people of- down in the temple down in, in Judah proper, the, the, the city, mm-hmm. consider those country folks out there a bunch of half-breeds. Like... Yeah. The, but the, but the uh, woman at the well was a Samaritan. Yeah, very much so. And so Jesus is already extending the offer out to people that are not of the covenant family, of the physical covenant family. Right. So these this lawyer that Jesus has been talking to would have never, never considered, considered a Samaritan at all. Right. Like they're just below us. All right, so we're going to run out of time today. We'll finish this up next week. But I I do want you to see what is the point that Jesus is trying to make. One of the main points is is that faith without works is dead. That if you truly are a child of God, if you truly are a member of the covenant, the eternal covenant, then you'll act like a covenant child. And you would help. So we'll, we'll next week we get back together. We'll read the story again and see what we can find out from that. But so, what is the gist of what we've been talking about today? The gist is is that the gift of faith. The gift of faith. It is a gift, mm-hmm. and it's not something that we earn. Okay. But if we have the gift, it's something we share. Yeah. And I think that would be a good way it's to sum the up the class today.
3: Good way to put
0: it. Yeah. It it, uh, it is a gift that we cannot earn, but it is a gift that we're commanded to share. And if that gift is within us, it's going to come out of us. It's got to. So
1: then, the, the Levi and the uh, the other dude, the they priest. didn't have this, the,
0: the the gift. That's exactly right. Now, but mm-hmm. externally on the outside, they look like the most religious people in the whole crowd. Mm-hmm.
1: That's why, what's the
0: saying, uh, black sheep and black sheep wolf clothing? Or some wolf, a sheep like? and wolf's, wolf's yeah, clothing? that right there, yeah. A wolf and sheep's clothing.
1: Yeah, How about that one? Like
0: that. Usually sheep don't dress up like wolves. They don't have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a wolf would dress up like a sheep
1: uh, so they can
2: get in there and wreck All right, so. That was a good point.
0: I hope that everybody got something out of that today. When we come back together next week, we'll finish up that story. We're also going to go to the story of Martha and Mary, where we're going to also learn again that it's not about what we do, it's about who we are. All right? Uh, Let's close with a quick prayer. I hope that you all have a good, blessed week. All right? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Um, I pray that you help us to appreciate and grasp the realities of the eternal gift that you have given us and I pray that you put within our hearts and our minds a willingness to go out and share that with others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.